0: So, uh, let me ask you a question. Again, we started a couple weeks ago with a a very scientific poll about cartoons. Today is this. How many horror film fans do we have in the house? I'm just trying to see who we need to pray for this morning. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm not a horror film person. I mean, if I've seen them, they've been in black and white. Like you know, Dracula, Frankenstein, like the originals. I'm just not into that. Uh, It's just not my thing. Part of it is I grew up and I was not allowed to watch them, so that's ingrained in me a little bit. But then as I've even grown up and I can do what I want now because I'm a big boy, you know, uh, it's just not my thing. So I'm just like, why would I want to spend money to go see something that's supposed to scare me for two hours? I just don't get it. And like last night, Kim and Jackson went to the Halloween haunt at Worlds of Fun. And, you know, Jackson almost passed out one time, I guess, because he was so scared. He was just, like, frozen. And there was this fog machine at one point. He did not want to go through it. And Kim, you know... They, they made it, and he had a good time after, after he kind of pushed through that. But I'm like, I do not want to subject myself to that. Why would I want to spend money and go to this place to be scared? It's just not. But some people like it. They like the thrill. They, you know, they like the adrenaline rush or whatever. It's just not, just not my deal. But I do know enough about scary movies to know that there are several key mistakes that the victims in those movies make every time. And if you watch them, you're screaming at them while you're watching it, saying, don't do that. You know, don't go into that dark opening. You don't know who's in there, what's in there. If, if it's a big hole, you have, don't. Why would you go in there? Why would you not check for a light switch? Or, you you know, they get their flashlight, and they haven't checked to see if there's good batteries in them. Why wouldn't you check to see if there's batteries that work in there? Or they're going to use their cell phone, and it's not charged. Why wouldn't you check to make sure that your cell phone is charged so you can use it as a flashlight or to call 911? Or sometimes, you know, they're a victim because they don't involve the authorities, you know, there's like a serial killer that's around their neighborhood, and they just think they're going to take care of it themselves because they're highly trained to do that, right? So they don't, call, they don't think to call the police or anyone or get help at all. Like, it's why would you just not think for a second and do what's rational? And it's because the movie would be about 17 seconds long. There was someone creepy out there. I called the cops. They took care of it. End of movie. That's probably not going to do too well in the box office. So I get why they do it. But still, we do that, don't we? We scream at them. Don't do that. Don't go there. There is one mistake, though, uh, that I think is is the worst of all, and it happens in nearly every horror film, and that is the group decides we should split up. Does that make any sense to you? There's a thing called strength in numbers, right? If there is someone who is armed and dangerous, six of us can probably take care of him easier than if we all split off on our own. Like, why would you do that? Why would you put yourself in peril in harm's way, knowing that you're probably not going to make it? And that's why they're the victims in these movies, because they make these stupid decisions, especially the one where they split off. But in life, a lot of times, we tend to make that same mistake. We tend to split off. So we're in this series called Faith Traps, and the third and final one that we're going to talk about today is what we're calling the Isolation Trap. One of the most dangerous things that you can do in your life is to isolate yourself from others. And we have reasons why we do that, and we'll talk about maybe a few of those this morning. And we have our excuses of why it's easier this way, or it just makes more sense, or I'm, I'm capable on my own, I can handle it, I'm a big boy, big girl, you know, I've got experience, or, or I've got know-how, or I can figure things out on my own. But it's just not good. Rarely, if ever, I would say, does that work in our favor. We find ourselves more frustrated, uh, more scared, more feeling alone because we've done this to ourselves. It's a faith trap that we really do to ourselves. So what we're going to look at is really... How we can avoid this trap is what we've been doing the last couple of weeks. How we can avoid this isolation trap and really as, along the way look at really the danger of it. Because sometimes we don't see why it's dangerous, but it really is. So we're going to look at three things we need to avoid an isolation trap. So think of this as like you're checking the batteries in the flashlight before you go in the dark tunnel. Or you're looking for the light switch in the room before you just wander down this path. And you're sticking with the group that you came with. So we're going to look at how to avoid this isolation trap. The first thing that we need to avoid this isolation trap is we need connection with others. We need connection with others. And really, it's not that we need it so much, but the first step before that is we need to see the importance and the value of connection with others. Proverbs 17, 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Relationships make us better. Other people in our lives make us better. Now, I will say this is, this is the trap that I fall into the most often. Okay, so anything I say, if you take it personally, I'm right there with you. Okay, just picture me sitting next to you. There's like so many of me out there because I'm talking to me. Okay, this is the trap that I fall prey to most often for a lot of the same reasons a lot of, of you out there probably have. But so here's the deal I understand that sometimes people are frustrating, I understand sometimes people are difficult. I understand relationships are hard. I understand they're not always pleasant or easy. It's work, but we need it. Iron sharpens iron. We sharpen each other. We become better in community, through connection, through relationships. Because even in the difficult times in relationships, even when people drive us the most crazy, there's room for us to grow in that. I can grow in empathy because somebody's a doofus, right? I can grow in my patience with people because they are so dumb sometimes. I just want to shake them, and I'm just like, it's easier for me just to say, Nope, I'm out. I got my own stuff. I'm not going to deal with you, but we are better together. We need relationships. Iron sharpens iron. What this verse also really shows is the importance of the different types and levels of connection that we need in our lives. Okay? Because if some some of you in the room may be more sharpeners to a lot of people so guess what if you don't have people in your life that sharpen you you'll become dull and eventually fairly useless to others you will give and give and give and if you're never poured into by anyone or anything else you're empty so you're running on empty yourself, and you therefore then have, you only have so much. Your supply is limited emotionally, physically, spiritually. So I want us to think of, of this kind of connection with relationship in terms of a ladder, okay? So in your relationships, you should be sort of in the middle, on the middle rung of that ladder. And you, so you should have people that you're helping along the way that are under you. You're helping them along the way of life. But if we're just, you know, I got 17 best friends and they're all at the bottom, guess what? You're going to fall off because you're going to wear out. So what we also need is people on the rungs ahead of us that are helping us along the way. So if you look at your life in terms of a ladder and you see yourself, I'm at the top and there's only people beneath me, be careful. You need to seek out those connections in your life of people that, that maybe have more experience in a certain area of life than you, uh, that maybe have more spiritual maturity than you, maybe are, are more well-adjusted in life than you to help kind of pull you up, because you're going to need that along the way. So we have to have this variety of connection in our life to make the connections below us meaningful and helpful for them. And ourselves, and that's really echoed in Proverbs 17, 17, where the writer says a friend is always loyal and a brother is born to help in time of need. So it's not just that we want to help others. We, we do want to, we should want to, we should do all we can, but there are times when I'm going to need help. But if I've not made those connections that are above me on the ladder, I got really very few options and i'm going to find myself worn out and ready to just give in and ready to just kick these people i need you know there's a bunch of dead weight i'm going to step on some fingers on these rungs and to help me out that's not what we want to do instead we should have more people above us as well think about let's do this little exercise i'm going to need your participation for just a minute okay it's very simple i need you to fill in some blanks i want you to think about some famous duos i'm going to say half and you're going to tell me the other half and we're going to see how these would not work if they were on their own okay you ready Here's the first one. It's an easy one. It's a softball. Macaroni and? You got it. Romeo and? This might be a little bit tougher. Hall and? Wow, good job. You guys are awesome. Here's the toughest one. The blank is first, so you think about it just for a second, okay? Blank and Jerry. You're all correct. There's two answers to this. Jerry is pretty needy, right? He needs Tom and he needs Ben. I don't know which one is on which rung of which ladder, but Jerry's very needy. He needs both of these guys to make it in whichever sphere you look at. Even someone like the Lone Ranger, Tonto and... Silver. He's got two people at all times helping him. That's a terrible name. The Lone Ranger. He, you're not the Lone Ranger. You're the trio of Rangers. Okay? You're two away from the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. So you just need two more and you're a complete set. Think about this one. Even someone like Han Solo has Chewbacca. Exactly. So his name is totally wrong here, too. I know that's maybe not why he's called that, but I thought of it this week and just had to get it in there. So even a guy named Han Solo can't do it solo. He's got people or creatures around him to have his back, to help him out. There's those connections that we have to have on a personal level just to make ourselves better, to make us better and each other. That's also true spiritually. We need connections on a spiritual level to help us grow and mature spiritually. And that's echoed in Hebrews 10, uh, where the writer says this. He says, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. And then he gets into this connection thing. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Goes on to say, let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another. There it is again. Especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. You cannot grow spiritually in isolation. Cannot do it. It will not happen. Even a plant, well, it needs several things. It needs soil, water, sunlight. So here's here's what I would say to someone who would say, well, I can grow, I can be on my own and grow spirit." I, I you know, grow best, or I feel closest to God when I'm by myself. Maybe in spurts or at key moments that may be true, but by and large, that is not the way it's designed to be. So think about the plant. If I were to say, well, I can grow on my own without anything else, here's, here's what I want you to do. Go home and take a flower, pull it out of the ground, and just lay it down and see if it's going to grow by itself. You come back the next day, it's a goner. It needs other things around it to strengthen it. So he says, motivate one another, encourage one another, gather together. That's connection. That's community. That cannot happen on our own. It can't happen just once every several weeks when we feel, I know, here, not guilt trip, but maybe if you feel guilty, I can't help that. It's the Holy Spirit. It's conviction, not guilt, all right? It, that can't happen once every three months when I want to show up to church. It's got to be a consistent thing. And that's not just you know because I want people to be here. It's because it's true. Like Again, I didn't write Hebrews 10. I wish I did, but I didn't. But we have to go by what it says. It's got to be that consistent part to build that community. It can't happen in isolation because we shrivel up and die spiritually. That's the end result. That's what we don't want. We need that connection with others personally and on a spiritual level. It's got to be there. And I'll just say one more thing before we move on. Uh, to why we neglect connection is if you feel like you're not connected, maybe that's even here, maybe that's in your life, think about again the latter for a second. Are you constantly just needing that connection and not getting it? Or are you, because usually that's the case. In my experience, that's been the case. I don't feel connected. I don't feel a part of anything. I feel like I'm, I'm on my own. I feel like I'm isolated. Usually, when I hear that and I look at someone's situation in their life, they are not trying to be connected they're not going for connection they just want it to come to them that's not how it works that's not how friendships work that's not how spiritual growth works there's got to be some sort of effort made on our end to gain that connection so it can't just be oh i need it i need it i don't have it it's what's wrong it's because there's no effort on this side being made to make that it's in, the connections made in the middle okay but we neglect connection often and here's why we do that we neglect connection because it requires vulnerability. It requires vulnerability. So it means I have to open myself up. It means I have to show weakness sometimes. It means I have to ask for help sometimes. It means I have to say I don't know sometimes. So that's why that connection's important. Because what I may not know, someone else that I've made a connection with may know. Because when I'm not feeling it that day, somebody else that I'm connected to may, may send me an encouraging text message. Say, hey, I praying for you today. We need that connection in our lives, personally and spiritually. But it requires vulnerability, which we don't, I don't want to, I don't want to risk that. Because what if I get disappointed in that relationship? Well, you might. What if, I get, what, if, you know, what if I get used or abused by somebody, or what if this doesn't work out, or what if I end up, you know, I'm the sharpener all the time, and it's just a ton of work? That may happen, but it doesn't mean we don't, we don't become vulnerable anyway. And here's why. Well, let me give you one scripture about vulnerability here. 1 Peter 5.8, Peter says this, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. This is why connection is so important, especially in the life of a Christian. Animals in the wild, they tend to stay in groups. It's for their protection. Because what a lion's going to do, he's going to look for the isolated animal in that pack. The one that strayed a little too far for a little too long, and he knows, I got a straight shot. At the antelope that's all by himself. The little baby that's over there that thinks that they thinks they can handle it themselves, they are prime for an attack. They are prime to get eaten alive. So here's the thing about vulnerability. And I think this is in the if you have the U version notes open that's in there, but if not, this is a good thing to write down. One way or another, we all choose vulnerability. Okay? One way or another, we all choose vulnerability. Either we choose to be vulnerable in community with others and we are strengthened and we grow and we find community with people through choosing vulnerability or through isolation we've chosen to be vulnerable. Prime for attack. on, On my own, no support system around me, no protection around me, no encouragement around me, no stability around me, no accountability around me. We're prime to get eaten Alive. So in your life, you choose vulnerability every day, no matter what, one way or another, with either a positive or negative effect. Either through community, I take a chance and be vulnerable with people and grow and mature and flourish, or on my own, I am choosing to be vulnerable and I will wither and get eaten alive. So we choose it one way or another. I would hope that we would choose the positive end of that, even though there is a risk involved to make that connection with others. The second thing that we need is similar to the first, but it's a little bit deeper, and that is we need access with others. So it's, we won't spend a lot of time on this one because it's, it is similar in a lot of ways, but it is one step deeper in relationship because connections are made, but access is given. So I make a connection with somebody, we just kind of hit it off, we have similarities, we're in the same part of life, or we have similar interests, we make a connection. But access is given, it's granted. And for a Christ follower here, we talked about this at our last first Wednesday uh, earlier this month, but this is, this is what that looks like. Galatians 6, verse 2, Paul says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. We were not meant to live in isolation. You were not meant to carry the burdens that you carry by yourself. You were not designed to deal with all the pressures and problems of life by yourself in isolation. That's not how we were designed. We're designed for community. We're designed for connection and access to others. And it says here, we fulfill the law of Christ. Well, what law is fulfilled as we care for one another? One of the two greatest commandments. Jesus says the two greatest commandments is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is love your neighbor as yourself. So as we have access to people that we've made these connections with, we're fulfilling the two greatest laws because we are loving others. And really through that, we're showing our love for God by giving access and receiving access to others in deep, meaningful, mutually helpful relationship. But we also, just like with connection, we resist access for a very simple reason. And that is because access requires transparency. You gotta be real. No fakery is allowed with access. Because we said access is given, that's true, but really maybe a better word is access is earned over time through trust, which comes from transparency. So here's kind of a rule um, for this access and transparency sort of relationship. It's here's this rule. It goes it's two ways. If I don't sense transparency, you don't gain access. And if I don't reflect transparency, you won't grant access. So that works both ways. If I don't sense transparency, they don't gain access. They haven't earned trust by vulnerability over time. But if I, on the other hand, am overly guarded and I don't let people in and I don't really give them access, they won't give me access because I haven't earned their trust through my own vulnerability. It's gained, it's earned, and it is mutual. It is reciprocal. And again, being real can be very scary because I have to really tell people how I really am. Like they're really going to see the real me sometimes the longer I'm with them. Yeah. The more I'm around them, they're going to see some flaws that I wish they didn't see. Yeah. But it's part of transparency, and it's the only way to gain access to deep meaningful, mutually helpful, and healthy relationships. It's the only way. And we need them. We need the connection. And then we need to give that access and receive that access through transparency. We have to take those risks to be real. And then the third um, way to avoid this isolation trap really doesn't involve other people, uh, but it involves someone even more powerful than others. And that is the third thing we need to avoid the isolation trap is we need the help of of the Holy Spirit. If you're going to survive spiritually, this is a must. This is a number numero uno. I saved it for last, but it's really because it's probably the most important one. It should be number one in terms of importance, but to drive the point home, we're going to end on this one. We must, if we're going to follow Jesus well and faithfully and for longer than maybe a couple of weeks or a month at a time, we have to have the help of the Holy Spirit. So in John 16, Jesus is sitting down with his disciples, and he's hinted at this for a while. They they sort of know this is coming, but now he's kind of having the talk with them. And he's telling them, hey, I'm not going to be around much longer. Like, we're talking a few more days here, and I'm I'm out. And they sort of don't understand exactly all the details, and they will come to find out quickly what he means. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to rise from the dead. But then even after that, I'm going to only be here for a few more weeks, and then I'm going to be gone. And they are obviously shaken by this reality. It's getting closer. Like, it's fine when it was two years ago and I thought this might happen. But now that it's right here and it's the reality, they're starting to struggle with their leader, their friend, their Messiah. He's going to be gone. We're going to be on our own. But Jesus makes it very clear you're not going to be on your own. And so he, he gives some details here. Let's, let's t- look at a few verses from John chapter 16 and see how this can be comforting for us as well. So in John 16, 7, Jesus starts out this conversation this way. He says, in fact, it's best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. Now notice advocate is capitalized. He's talking about the Holy Spirit who is a person. He calls him a he here because it's not an it or a thing. He's the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I'm sending him to you, so I got to get out of here so I can send him. And he calls him here. This is the New Living Translation. Other versions call him the helper. and other places, he's called a comforter. But here, he's called the advocate. And I like that word a lot because an advocate is someone that will represent someone that can't represent themselves, Someone, I'm going to kind of have your back because you really can't do it on your own. So there are advocates, you know, for people with special needs. There are advocates that lobby, you know, for, um, uh, for veterans with PTSD in Congress because they, they're not going to do it on their own. They can't do it on their own. They have their limitations or they just like, you know, I, I, yeah, I'd like to, but I can't. And so an advocate will come and represent them plead their case to people that can do something about their situation or their station in life. That's what the Holy Spirit does for you and for me. Jesus knows on your own you will not make it. So I'm going to send someone that will advocate for you, that has your back at all times, because without his help, you're not going to make it. He sends the advocate, the Holy Spirit, to help us. Later down in, in verse number 10, Jesus also says this. He says, righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. So the other thing that we've talked about already, our spiritual growth is directly tied to our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Our attempts at righteousness apart from the Holy Spirit are self-righteousness, which does not make the cut which God does not accept. He says it's like filthy rags. Get it out of here. That is not going to do it. So our attempts at being good enough apart from the power of the Holy Spirit doesn't make the cut. It's not enough. Our attempts at morality apart from the Holy Spirit working in us, changing us, making us more like like him is not going to make it. We must have this relationship, this connection, this help from the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 13, he says this, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. So Jesus says the Holy Spirit gives direction for your life. That's a key component to what the Holy Spirit does, the work of the Holy Spirit. He gives you guidance and direction for your life. So you don't have to be stressed out on your own all the time wondering how this is going to turn out and how that's going to turn out and and questioning every little thing and every little detail. The Holy Spirit, if he lives inside of you, will guide you. He He will speak to you. He will direct your path. You're not on your own. The Holy Spirit helps us with decisions and our future and things that we have going on. And if we ignore him or push him out, who, how are we going to know? How are we going to have a sense of direction? How are we going to sense true purpose? How are we going to know if this way or that way? Uh, I don't know. I'm confused. We need the help of the Holy Spirit to make key decisions in our lives. But one more scripture that I want to share about the Holy Spirit with his help is this idea that it's not just about those big decisions that he's there for. So, you know, in, um, you know, in football, the coaches of each team, they have two challenges, right, that they can challenge two different plays during the game. And so they have to decide. There's what every team runs 70, 80 plays a game, and they have two chances to revisit a play. Two times they have, only, the only chances they have to replay uh, what just happened to see if they can get it changed in their favor. The Holy Spirit does not work that way, okay, It's not like you get five shots to ask him. You know, you get three wishes. He's not a genie. He's not an NFL coach. You you can ask him for help every day about any decision. And that's what we see here in Exodus 31. We're going to see in the Old Testament just for a second how this plays out how practically and daily and continually and consistently the Holy Spirit can work and wants to work in your life. So we're going to read a bunch of Old Testament names here. Do not get caught up in the names. Just, I might even change their names just because it's easier that way, because I want you to see the point of the Scripture. Exodus 31, starting at verse number 1, says, The Lord said to Moses, Look, I've specifically chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God, giving him great wisdom and ability and expertise in all kinds of crafts. Seems kind of minor. Uh, He's a master craftsman, expert in working with gold, silver, and bronze. He is skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones and in carving wood. He is a master at every craft. And I have personally appointed a holy absin of Ahishamach of the tribe of Dan to be his assistant. Moreover, I have given special skill to all the gifted craftsmen so they can make all the things I've commanded you to make. And then he goes in and lists, hey, I want you to build the tabernacle, this huge building of worship. They're going to build this thing, okay, in like a tent form. And then they're going to build a bunch of big things that go inside of it, candlesticks and tables and all sorts of different things, So what we see here is that the Holy Spirit empowered these men to simply do their job. Do you know the Holy Spirit can help you do your job tomorrow at work? Do you know that? Do you know that he wants to empower you with your coworkers tomorrow? It's not just for these big decisions I need help on. It's not just on Sundays when I feel him at church. It's not. It's. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, every day, every part, every moment of your life, he's available and ready to help you with little things, things that we think he probably doesn't care about. He wants to help you with that. He wants to encourage you in the mundane because sometimes the little things add up and they feel like big things because you've done so many on your own. The Holy Spirit is there to help us even with the little things. You get stressed about losing your keys. That's a good opportunity for prayer. If you have skipped your morning devotion that day, right there's a good time to pray. Hey God, I really need my keys, and we like to work. This is going to be terrible. I'm telling you, He will help you to. Oh, I know where I left them. Or they're in my pocket. Or they're in my hand. Like sometimes we get so frazzled. Where are my glasses? Where? Am I? Oh, they were there the whole time. That just happens. That's how we can be. That's how we become. We get crazy about little things. The Holy Spirit's there to help us even in those moments. Little things that we think He wouldn't care about, shouldn't care about, He cares. So, we need his help. But uh, just like with the other two things, we sometimes neglect this part and become isolated. And you would say, well, who's going to neglect the power of the Holy Spirit? Who's going to say no to God helping them? We do it all the time. And here's why because the help of the Holy Spirit requires intimacy with him, intimacy is intentional. Intimacy is time plus attention. If you want sort of a math equation for all you nerds out there, all right? Um, Intimacy is time plus attention. That's what that means in any area, in any relationship. So it means actively spending time with the Holy Spirit. It means taking time to stop and listen for him to speak. When you're looking for direction or encouragement, if you're just zooming through life and don't give God much thought in your day, you're going to miss a lot of what he's trying to do in those moments. We just quiet our hearts just for a a minute, just for a couple of minutes, and just kind of recenter ourselves and wait, he will give us an encouragement. He'll bring something to our minds we need to remember. Maybe it's a scripture. Maybe it's a thought. Maybe it's a song. It could be any number of things. But again, if we're just zoom, 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 I'm going to handle it. I'm going to do it. It's easier. And I'm this way. It's easier if I just do it myself. I don't have to teach somebody else how to do that. I'm working on that. That's a big, 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 big problem, right? I'm the worst at that. But that's we can do that with the Holy Spirit, too. Oh, I'll figure it out if I just work hard enough and long enough. It's like, what if he was going to give you a shortcut that would have saved you weeks on this thing? What if he was going to bring a, a connection with someone that was going to just change the trajectory of that idea, and you're working in your own power through your own strength, and you're spinning your wheels, and you're frustrated, and you just let him just kind of go off on the side? He, his help is available, but it requires intimacy. We have to choose to spend time with him, choose to listen for him. And then when he does speak, we have to choose to act on what he says. We have to choose to follow him. And I won't get into that, but we just looked at John 16. Last summer we did a long series on the Holy Spirit. We spent a whole week on that idea. He's going to guide you. He's not going to pull you along. He's not gonna, he doesn't have a chain around your neck saying, get over here. You have to allow him to lead you through your life. You have to give him that access to your life as well through intimacy. We want to allow the Holy Spirit to be a daily part of our life, part of your routine, part of your, you know, thing that you, have I checked in with him today? Have I kind of, you know, I've got this big question, have I consulted him about that? Or I'm feeling really down about this. Have Have I gone to him with this anxiety? Have I gone to him with this problem? Have I approached him about what he thinks about what I should do here? It's easy to let that go, but we have to make intimacy with the Holy Spirit part of our lives to have his help. Again, isolation leads to vulnerability. And if we're vulnerable and isolated, it ends in really bad spots. So we are the victim in the horror film. We end up not where we wanted to be, not how we thought it would be. We're more frustrated. We feel more alone than ever. We feel more distant from where we want to be than ever. We feel distant from God more than ever. We feel uh, totally just fried. And really it ends in our personal um, unhealth. And then really spiritual death if we let it go too long. So again, take that chance to make a connection with others. Give and receive access to grow in those relationships. And as you do that, don't neglect the help and the power and the wisdom and the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life. It will change everything. It will help you to see clearer. It will help you to feel more alive. It will give you encouragement like you've never experienced, maybe ever in your life or not for a long time. But it requires that connection, access, and then the help of the Holy Spirit to make this life the one that we were designed to live, to avoid this trap.